All right. If you guys can wrap up your stories. I love that this is maybe one of the liveliest questions we've had in a while. <laughs> a lot of baking fails in this room, I think. <laughs> well, you guys, it's so good to see you today. If I have not had the privilege of meeting you yet, I just want to say, hi, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Natalie, and almost five years ago, you guys, it's, we're, we're coming up on five years as a church. Um, has been and I started this church, and it's just been the most fun thing, crazy thing maybe I've ever done in my life, but I love getting to be here with you guys every week. And so, yeah, if I haven't met you, I'd love to say hi to you. If I already met you, I'm going to hug you anyways. So I'll see you after church. <laughs> um, so I actually want to share one of my uh, baking fields with you. And actually, because Taka's not here today, I'm going to share one of his. <laughs> so uh, he actually does not bake, like, ever. Like, never, ever. And uh, every year for my birthday, I only ever ask him for two things. I only ever ask, I just want a fruit pizza. So if you're not a Midwesterner, that's just a fruit tart in California terms. Um, but <laughs> I always just want to, yeah, you guys got it now, right? Okay. So it's a, a fruit tart. Um, I always just want that and a handmade card. I just want you to write me the sappiest love note ever, right? And so a few years ago, he's like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do even better. I'm going to make you the fruit pizza. And I was like, cool. That's going to be interesting. This will be fun. And so I was like, I got to watch this, actually, because this is going to be fun. If you know anything about Taka, like, the way he actually cooks is he kind of is just like, you can throw a little this in there, a little that in there, whatever it is. He, like, commits to it and Whatever you get is whatever you get, and that it, it's usually like no rhyme or reason to it. Somehow it usually works out, but it's not that way with baking. And those of you who know this with baking, that you have to follow the instructions very closely or you're going to get a mess, right? And so he tried to do it his special way, and as I'm watching, I'm just like biting my tongue. I'm like, oh, don't, no, okay. I know this is going to be bad, but... I'm going to just let him go with it. And so, you know, he puts it in the oven, doesn't even check how long it's supposed to go. I, I don't, I'm not sure he measured. I don't, I don't really know what he was doing, but it did come out looking kind of like a fruit pizza. And so if you can like put the picture up there, um, there's a picture of him. <laughs> he even he like made it into an N. You see the grapes? He made an N. Like he tried really hard. And then we all like, well, like, let's try this, right? Um, and we bit into that. It was the saltiest thing I've ever tasted in my life. It was so gross, but it was the effort that counts, right? I was like, okay, you put your heart into that, so I can't even fault you for that. You made that end. You put the details in. I, I appreciate it. It's all good. <laughs> so that's Taka. And I promise I have a reason for talking about this. We'll talk about it later. There's a point to it. Um, but... Um, actually, I want to jump in and tell you even just what we're talking about today. So uh, if you were not here last week, uh, Pastor Taka kicked off our new series, and it's called This Is The Way. And so you guys ever watch, like, the Star Wars, like, spinoffs, The Mandalorian and stuff? And so the whole idea was that 
Um, in the show The Mandalorians, they kind of have this like code of ethics that they live by. They always wear their helmets. They um, like whenever they like face some like big decision, they always go back to their like code of ethics. And uh, anytime like whoever is in charge of that, they bring the problem to them, and the leader will just state, you know, they know the code of ethics really well. They'll say it, and then everyone will just say, "This is the way. This is the way." And so we kind of. We were like, you know what? That is so relevant to us as believers because we kind of do the same thing. We just choose to agree with what Scripture says for us as believers, that this is the way that we live. This is our code of conduct, our, our modus operandi. Did I say right? Operandi. <laughs> Said like a Midwesterner, right? It's not, it's not a set of beliefs, right, only. It's not a set of stances, or ideals, or a way of thinking, but it is a way of living. This is the way that we do things. This is, this is what we do. And so last week, he, he kind of used an example of um, in Israel, back in Jesus' time, when you were studying to be a teacher of scripture, you would follow your rabbi everywhere that they went, and you would be so close to him that they would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, because you would follow so close to your rabbi that you would act like them, do what they did, like speak how they spoke, and you would be covered in their dust because you were that close, covered by the dust of the rabbi. And so the impetus of this series, the whole reason we wanted to do this series is because there were a couple of occasions in the last few years that Taka and I actually had to deal with a couple of situations that we ended up kind of having to pick up some other people's messes, other Christians' messes. And those messes happened because the people who were making the messes were not following the way. They were not representing the way of Jesus Christ. It did not appear that they understood, or maybe not even understood, because we knew they had read their Bibles. We knew that they knew it. Their, their speech made it very clear that they knew things by the letter, but their actions did not show it. Their actions did not show it, and a lot of people got hurt in the process because they were using scripture to weaponize to hurt people and to get their own way and to prove their own points. And they kind of missed the point along the way. It's not about what you know. It's about who you are and how you emulate Jesus. And so for us, the point has always, always been to bring people back to the love of God, to give them purpose, to point them to Jesus. And if we're not doing that, then we've missed it. It's really simple. And so picking up the pieces is honestly, it's so much harder than it is if we just followed him the right way the first time. And like, I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have to pick up pieces. That's just life. That's how it is. But my goal is that when we all leave this place, we can say that even if we did it wrong, we did our best to make it right. And we did our best to love people really well for the sake of the gospel. Because we know that it matters what we present. We know that it matters if people see that we look like Jesus. 
Because if we don't look like him, we're going to push people away. And so for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the people that God loves, it's important that we know and we follow and we live out the way of Jesus. And so as I was uh, studying for this a few weeks back, I was like, okay, where do we even start? There's so many things we can talk about when, it's t- when we talk about what does it look like to live like Jesus, to follow Jesus, to act like him. And um, I actually was just studying scripture on my own the other day, and I came upo- upon this passage that was called Having the Attitude of Christ. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. Having the attitude of Christ, that's the the best place to start is with our attitude because everything flows out of the way that we think, right? The way we think, we act, it's our attitude that people catch first, right? Then the first seven seconds of the time that you meet someone, they form an opinion about you. So what's the attitude that you're giving off? I'm not going to say it. There's a song that every time I hear the word attitude, I think of a certain Snoop Dogg song, and I'm not going to say it. But anyways, I digress. So um, how many of you have been told that you emulate the attitude of someone famous or notorious? So like you can shout it out if someone has said, oh, you remind me so much of Blump. Anyone? No? You party girl? <laughs> SNL party girl. Yes, Kaya um, uh, reminds us of the SNL party girl. We can get into that. She's the one who's like, she's like, um, you know, I can't even, I can't do it. I can't do it. Just go Google it. It's funny. Anyways, anyone else? No? Oh my gosh. None of you? Okay. Okay, well then I'm going to share with you some of mine. Um, and honestly, I, I hesitated to share these because I'm like, I, this is embarrassing to be honest with you. Um, my kids tell me all the time, this, we always watch movies and we're always like, oh, you're like this character and you're like that character. Oh, I see you in that one. So maybe that's just something our family does. But uh, <laughs> the ones that they chose for me are so weird. And I'm like, I guess I'm weird. But I want to show them to you anyway because I think it's hilarious. So the first one that they always say is, they always say that I'm just like Baymax. Have you guys seen <laughs> Big Hero 6? Have you guys seen it? <laughs> You're laughing, so I guess you've seen it. So we went to Disneyland this year, and they were like, Mom, it's Baymax. You have to pose with your, like, double. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> It's Baymax. Like, he's like a poofy robot. What? How I am I like Baymax? And honestly, they still to this day have not told me why they, I'm just like Baymax. And I'm like, I really hope it's not because he's poofy. But, you know, we're going to move past that. Okay. But <laughs> Baymax is nice. He is nice. Thanks, man. I'll take that. I'm going to take that away from <laughs> this moment. But the other one that they say that I remind them of is Professor Trelawney. Have you guys seen um, Harry Potter? <laughs> this is what I deal with, you guys. This is what my kids tell me I'm like. I'm like, what am I supposed to think about that? She's crazy. Like, <laughs> is that what I really like? And they, uh, they, they always are like, well, mom, you are kind of weird. Like, you're, you're, you're pretty weird. And you're kind of goofy. And, you know, you're also spiritual. So you're a lot like her. And I'm just like, I... I Okay, okay, fine. What? I don't know, but uh, I guess maybe I better, like, uh, after that, I was like, I need to, like, brush my hair maybe a little better because I don't know what kind of vibes I'm giving off right now, but 
that's not the one I was hoping to give off, but apparently I do. So anyways, so my question for us today, and the thing I want us to talk about and to think about today is, is who do we emulate? Who do we look like when people see us? Do they see Jesus? Do they say, you remind me so much of Jesus. You're so kind. You're so patient. You're so good. You see people so well. Or do they just see you? And you know what? It's not bad to see you. You're perfect. You're wonderful. But are you so close with Jesus that you're also taking on his characteristics and emulating him. And so, yes, you will always be you, but our goal is to emulate and pick up his attitude, right? And so today we're going we're gonna to go through that passage. It's Philippians 2, 1 through 11. We're going to have it up here on the screen, but if you want to read it in, uh, on your own, you can either pull it up on your phone or we've got free Bibles in the seat backs. You're always welcome to take those Bibles home with you. They're, they're, we bought them for you. So um, you can grab one of those and pull that out as well, too. But it's Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to start. We're going to read that, and then I'm going to break it down for you. So here we go. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude as Christ. Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, and instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's a lot. I could just end there and be like, message over, done, let's go do it. (laughs) Because that is so powerful. But there's a lot there. And there's a, it's really easy to get some of that mixed up. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. So I'm going to sum it up in three ideas that we can walk away with today and try to implement in our attitudes. The first one is the attitude of Christ is, can be summed up as humble. It cares well for others. And it obeys God. That's the attitude of Christ. If we can learn to be humble, to care well for others, and to obey God. We can do this, right? So, first one, let's talk about being humble. Because the first thing that sticks out to me is that word, because he said it three times in this passage. So, 
A lot of people can get funny ideas about what humility is. And even reading this passage, it can be easy to get confused about what he's trying to say to us about who we're called to be. And I think sometimes we can tend to think that humility looks kind of like, you know, I think of the character like Piglet and Winnie, Winnie the Pooh, right? He's like, well, he's like, he barely, you can hardly hear what he's saying. He's always like, well, and he's stuttering and he, you know, he, he has a hard time getting out and speaking up for what he wants to say, right? But that's not humility. And I think sometimes we can get confused and think that that's what humility looks like. Uh, I know that I thought that, uh, but it's not. Because actually humility, it's not shrinking back. It's not being a pushover. It's actually pretty brave if you want to be humble. Because humility is choosing to take up the right amount of space. So I'm going to say that again. It's not shrinking back, and it's not taking up so much space that you, like, crowd other people out. It's taking up the right amount of space. And that can actually be really hard to do because sometimes we don't know the boundaries for ourselves, right? And so to be humble like Jesus is just simply this. It's to be calmly confident that God is who he says he is, You are who he says you are, and that he's going to do what he said he would do. Say that one more time. To be humble like Jesus is to be calmly confident that he is who he says he is. You are who you say, or who he says you are, and that he will do what he says that he will do. Because if you believe that he is who he says he is, it should be easy to know that he's full of love. He cares about the details of your life. He's full of compassion for you. He has grace for you. If you believe that you are who he says you are, you believe that you're perfectly and wonderfully made on purpose and for a purpose, you don't excuse that part, right? And you believe that he will do what he said he will do, which is that he will always be with you, always working for your good, that he will empower you to do his will, and he will provide everything you need along the way. If you do those things, if you're confident in that, you will not need to do things or become someone else to be accepted and to know that you're loved. You can be confident in who God made you to be. You can be confident to step into humility and just be who you were called to be, no more and no less. Because that's really important, and I know it's true for me because, and I think it's probably true for a lot of people in this room, and I think a lot of women. Now, this is it. I'm not going to go on like a, like a rant about women in the workplace, okay? I'm not, going, I'm not going there. But what I am saying is a lot of us have willingly put ourselves into a box. Nobody else put us there. We put ourselves there because sometimes being seen and heard feels really scary. It can feel like maybe even a little bit vulnerable to speak up and say what you want to say because maybe you've been rejected before or someone's shot your ideas down or because every time you try to be who you're supposed to be, someone's like, right? Or some of you do it to yourself. You're like, you start to get an idea and you're like, and you sit back and you don't step in to the space God's calling you to. And I've many times minimized myself to just to be more palatable for people, right? I've sat back maybe when I should have stood up or I gave in so that I wouldn't get kicked out, right? 
Some of you know this feeling. You know this feeling. And how many of us have sacrificed maybe even our own callings, pretending that maybe we weren't worthy of it, or we didn't have enough qualifications, or whatever. I don't have the right degree. I don't have this and that. But God gave you an experience that you lived through, right? And you know a little something about it because you've been there. And that's enough. So don't shrink yourself back. That's not humility. That's hiding. And so God does not want you to minimize yourself. He made you, and he thinks he did a pretty good job at it, TBH. So I think he did a pretty good job knitting together your strengths and who you're supposed to be and putting you in the family you're supposed to be, in the city you're supposed to be, and wherever you're supposed to be. He did that on purpose. You are his work of art, and you are worthy to show up. And everything about you is intentional made to be displayed. So when you minimize and you hide, all that you really end up with is regret. Okay? So that's not humility. A humble person understands their value. They understand their value. But they don't need to flaunt it, right? And we saw that in verse 6, 7. Jesus is not a pushover. And he didn't need to chase after fame and fortune. He didn't care about it, right? Because he knew who God said he was, and he believed that he was who God said he was, and he believed that God would do what God said he would do, right? So that when he did all these miracles and he did all these amazing things for people, what, was, what did he say to them when they were like, I'm going to go tell everybody, or I know that you're the Christ? What did he say to so many of them? He said, don't tell anyone. What? Yes, go back to the book of Luke and see how many times Jesus tells people, don't tell anyone. You don't need to say that. And the reason is because he knew it wasn't the timing yet. It wasn't the right time for people to know that. And so he wasn't in a rush for people to know who he was. They want, he wasn't in a rush for people to like, put him on any kind of pedestal because he knew there were things that had to be done in the meantime for him to fulfill the call on God's life, that God had on his life. And so when he was tempted by the enemy in the, in the desert, he, the enemy tempted him with, all the kingdoms and all the money in the world if he would just bow down and worship him. And Jesus said, no, because I know who I am. I know who I am. And I know who God is. And I know he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And so he was confident, and he just said, no, get out of here. No. Right? And that was it. He didn't have to fight him. He didn't have to, like, push his own way. He didn't, nothing. He just knew who he was. He was confident in who he was and who he's, what he's created to do. And he didn't need to rush forward. He was humble, but he was purposeful. Right? When we're humble, we're also purposeful. And so in our humility, what is God calling you to act on? And who's, who's on the other side of your space that you need to fill in? That right amount of space. Who's in your place that needs to see Jesus represented well? I guarantee there's people in your life who've had some crazy people come into their life saying they were a Jesus follower. All you got to do is look on Christian Twitter. You'll find them. It's crazy out there. It's crazy, right? But you, you've got a purpose to represent him well. The next thing that we can see in the attitude of Christ is that it cares well for others, and we see that in verses 1 through 3. It says, because on the first... uh, 
one of the first ways that Christ actually shows his attitude, it says, is because he was tenderhearted, compassionate, selflessly considering others better than themselves, right? And now, that's one of the parts, again, that can be a little confusing. Because you might be like, oh, I, I must think of myself as low then. No. He's not saying, think of yourself as nothing. We already covered that. He wants you to be humble, but humble means taking up the right amount of space. It means stepping into your calling still, right? It means you have a purpose and a mission. It just means that you consider how much better it is to consider others, to care well for them. That's all that that means. Because you know that when you take good care of others, your life's going to be super full. It's not... It's not a bad thing to be caring and thinking of others. It's actually going to just bless your life in so many ways. Tenderhearted and compassionate. When I think of someone who's tenderhearted and compassionate, it's the person who constantly notices when someone is suffering. They don't just stop, stop by or walk by. They stop and they see this was Jesus. The disciples were always trying to, like, push him on because he was always stopping. He was always talking to people. He was always healing somebody. He was always going somewhere off the path all the time and they're like Jesus we got to go these little kids they need to get you know they need to get over there we got to and Jesus is like let them come to me you have someone like this that everywhere you go they're stopping and they're talking to a stranger and they're like praying for someone random you all know this person don't you you know this person they're probably sitting next to you <laughs> that was what Jesus did tender hearted and compassionate seeing people they're always giving their stuff away right? They're like, they don't consider their stuff that important. You think of like Michael and Alexis, they just gave their friend to a friend, the car to a friend the other week. They didn't even think twice about it. They're like, yeah, you need a car? Take ours. We can live on one. No questions. They just did it. I think of people like Nian, who just, you see a need and you fill a need. You're like, oh, someone's not taking care of that. Amy, nobody, nobody planned Amy's meal train yet. I'm going to do that. Yeah, right? She did that. She sees a need. She fills a need. They support other people's dreams. I think of Jenny Arendt, who she works for a big makeup company. And when she heard that some of the teen moms at Young Lives wanted to be cosmetologists, but they didn't have the money to get the makeup supplies, she's like, done. I got it. Sends them huge boxes of makeup so they have everything that they need. That's what it means to be tenderhearted and compassionate, thinking of others and taking joy out of that, knowing that a life poured out for the good of others is the most full life of all. When you're giving out, you're so full. It's, it's like this opposite, it's opposite of what the world tells you, right? If you're giving things away, you're not going to have anything left. No, I have everything I need. This is the most full that I'll ever feel. It's a genuine joy in blessing other people. And that's what Jesus was like. So do we take joy in blessing other people? Are we looking for opportunities to bless people? If so, good job. You're representing Jesus well. You are. Another way that we care well for people is, in, with, is by having gracious conversations united around one purpose. And I think a lot of that starts with not having the need to prove that we're right all the time. Right? And having gracious conversations, we don't need to prove that we're right. Because when we, have, when we lack grace in our conversations, whatever wisdom that we have to share, people aren't going to receive that. 
right? It's going to end up being off-putting. There's a verse in scripture that says, if you don't have love, you're just like a clanging cymbal. People aren't going to hear what you have to say. People aren't going to be attracted to Jesus if we just want to prove how right we are, how smart we are. We need to care well for people in our conversations. They should be so attractive. Our conversation should be so attractive that people are drawn to us because we don't have that anxious need to be perfect or right or prove that we're something else because we know who we are, right? We don't love to argue. When I see, when I think of Jesus, um, he was really purposeful about how he cared well for people in conversations. You just watch his conversations, even with people who disagreed with him. And he, was, he didn't sit there and, like, argue with them. He was like, that's a waste of time. I'm not going to do that with you. That's pointless. So what does he do with them? He just listens to their questions, and he asks them questions. He's, like, very interested. Oh, he's open-minded. He's think, listening to them. Okay, tell me, what do you think about this? What do you say? And he's asking them to think about it and answer the question, right? He, t- he proposes the question in a way that preserves their dignity, right? He not only does that, but then he also tells stories. So he wrapped the truth in something a little more gentle. You ever heard of, like, steel wrapped in velvet, right? That's what Jesus was doing. He's like telling a truth, but telling it in a way that's it's a story that people want to hear, they want to listen to, they want to think about, they want to be a part of and be engaged in. Eventually they figured out that he was like trying to tell them, like, hey, get it together, man, and they got mad. But in the moment, he preserved their dignity, right? He was, he was incredible with people. He was gracious in the way that he spoke truth to people. And you know, we feel this need to argue with people or prove that we're right. It's, it's just pride, right? And pride is the opposite of humility because it means that we're more concerned with ourselves and that we look good and that we look like something that we're not. But if we're humble in our heart and we're gracious with our speech, we're not concerned about being right and wrong because we know that it's more important how we leave people. Are they, are they better when we left them? Or at minimum, the same. Or are, they, or are they diminished? Have we taken some of their dignity? Have we taken away some of their love? Have we made them feel less than? That's not love. That's not representing Christ well. Every conversation that we have, not only that, but it's an opportunity for us to learn and to grow. Because obviously we don't know everything. And so if we enter conversations open-handed, ready to listen, ready to see what people are saying, they probably have some good things to share with you if we can put our pride aside for a second and say, thank you for telling me that. I don't have anything to lose because I know I'm already loved. I know God's still going to take care of me. I know he's going to do what he said he's going to do. I know that I have value because I know I am who he says I am. So I have nothing to lose by taking words that are meant to help me, right? I don't mind getting some correction. It's when we can respond saying, thank you for that. Thank you for that feedback. Thank you for telling me that. I wasn't aware of that. I didn't know that I did that. Thank you for telling me that. And then you actually go and process that. And that makes you grow, right? If we can take criticism and use that as a tool to grow, what do we have to lose? We can only win with that, right? And so even when people 
treat us badly, even when those conversations are people are speaking down to us and they're trying to steal our dignity and they're trying to do all kinds of things to make us look bad. We're still in control of how we respond, right? And we can still represent Christ really well, even to people who do not represent him well. It's on who we choose to be because being right is not our end goal anyways. So what if we shifted it to caring well for others and representing Jesus well? And if we end our conversation saying that, then we did it right. So can we do that in our conversation? And the last thing that I want to say is that to have the attitude of Christ is to be obedient to God. It always obeys what God asks us to do. And it's just, it's just the practice of daily submitting, sometimes moment by moment submitting to every single part of our life to God. And just saying yes, and that I trust that he's going to do something good with it. Because I know sometimes when we hand things over to God, we're like, I hope you're going to do something good with this because this hurts. I don't want to obey. I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. I don't want to do that because obedience takes a lot of effort. We never just like fall into obeying God. We never just like accidentally obey him. It just, like, takes a ton of work, and it's, like, usually not the thing we want to do. It's really usually hard. It's the opposite of what's easy. And you know how I know that is because there's a good chance that every time God speaks to me, my flesh doesn't want to do it. And I know that it wasn't my idea because I always want to do things for myself, by myself, without accosting me anything, and without anyone thinking anything weird about me, Right? But most of the time, by nature, obeying Christ means we do things opposite of the way the world sees it, right? And so by nature, Christ, obeying Christ means we are willingly exchanging our selfishness for whatever his purposes are. That is hard, right? It is so hard because the attitude of Christ is humble, and it, goes, it does right by others, and it is almost always for others, and it usually costs a lot. And it requires us usually to do what's right, even at the risk of being misunderstood. And that is so hard. Verse 8 says, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Can you imagine that? Going literally to your deathbed, carrying your cross of shame, right? You're walking through a, a ton of people who are throwing stuff at you calling you names, he's going to bed knowing these people have misunderstood me. And I'm, I'm about to go and give my life for them. And I'm, an, I'm not going to complete it. I'm not, I'm not going to give up right now. I'm not going to stand up and be like, you guys don't understand. You don't understand. He didn't feel the need to go up and defend himself. He's just like, I'm just going to complete the mission, even though these people don't get it. They don't understand. Right? I have felt that sting of being misunderstood when obeying something that God asked of me. I have felt that sting. I've been the subject of smear campaigns, not just one, multiple smear campaigns. I've been through that. I've been accused of doing things I didn't do, saying things I didn't say, um, meaning things that I didn't mean, called names that just gutted me, right? All in the name of Jesus. And at times, I thought I couldn't do it. But then, when I go in my prayer times and I just choose to say, God, I submit every part of my life to you. 
every part of my life to you. And he reminds me every time. He reminds me every time of Jesus. He's like, remember Jesus. Remember him on the cross. Remember he stuck it out to the end. And even though he couldn't see it in that moment, what was going to result from his obedience was the freedom for the entire world and everyone to come after him and everyone to come after them and after generation after generation after generation because of his obedience to God. And so if we can stick it out and remain obedient until the very end, even when it gets really hard to choose in that moment not to quit and to say, God, I submit my life to you, every part of it, once again. Day by day, moment by moment, I submit my life to you. I choose to say yes to having the attitude of Christ in my life. I choose to obey you. Because we can obey God knowing that he's not going to leave us high and dry. Matthew 6.33 says, Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions, Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. That's a promise for you. Steep your life in God initiatives and God reality, and all your everyday human concerns will be met. Because when you choose to obey God, you can trust that no good thing has been kept from you. He's not keeping things from you that are not good for you, right? Or that are good for you. He's not keeping the wrong, you know, he's, he's, not keeping jobs, relationships, friendships, things you can't afford just to be mean, right? Sometimes he's keeping you. He's not keeping things from you. He's keeping you. He's keeping you for something better because his ways are not our ways. They're better. They're way better. And even though it can be painful at times, he always desires to bring good to your life. He promises to be there with you. And sometimes in that waiting, in the moment when we can't see what God's doing, we can't understand why it seems like things are being kept from us. We can always trust that the best quality things, they just take time. They take time to complete. They take a lot of effort. I shared that whole baking thing with you because sometimes we think that we can just put in whatever ingredients we want to put in and that we're going to, things are going to come out right. We think we can just let things bake for the amount of time we feel like it should bake. And we get ahead of God and we do things in our own timing and we don't submit to him. And what we get is a salty doughy cookie that's nasty. It's not the life you really wanted. You're like, how did this happen? Well, you didn't follow the directions God gave you, right? Obedience matters, and it's for your good. It's not to keep things from you. It's for your good, because you want a good cookie. (laughs) You want one that tastes great, and it's like you want to serve it to other people, right? You want to give that to other people because it's good, So we don't need to force things. We're not missing out. God's will for us is good. He wants to give us meaning, purpose, lightness, freedom, rich relationships, good ones, right? So, guys, we covered covered a lot of stuff today. It was a lot to cover. 
we talk about the attitude of Christ, but I don't really want to get lost in the details because if you can leave today with anything, I want you to leave with just this short phrase, and that's this, that God can be trusted with your life. And when you accept this incredible gift that he's given us, you are compelled to live on mission, and you're compelled to care deeply about the people that he's put in your life because you know that when you represent him well, not just your life changes, but other people's life change. And it's so good. You can't contain that goodness that he's given with you, you because you're like, I can't even stop talking about it. It was so good. God's done so much in my life. I now have a purpose. I have meaning. I'm humble because I know who I am and I didn't shrink back and I stepped in and good things happened. People's lives changed. And God did that for me. And he provided everything I needed because he is who he says he is. And he does what he says he's going to do. And I am who he says that I am so I can live confidently and humbly before him. And I don't have to be afraid to obey. And I don't have to be afraid when things are hard because he's with me. And he's for me. And he's for you. And so today, as we go into worship, I just don't want to move past that moment because I think some of us have just had a hard time either stepping into that humility, which is taking up the space God's given us to take up. Some of us need to step into that space. We need to step in. Stop shrinking back. You need to speak up. You need to say things that God told you to say. You need to do some things he told you to do. Some of you need to say yes to Jesus. You need to obey him and say, I have been running from you for a long time, but if you are who you say you are, then I want that. I want to be part of that. I want to live on your mission. So as we go into worship, guys, like I want you to really respond to what God's saying. Not just think about it and believe it, but respond. And so this is the way. So if you need to respond to God, come forward. You can pray here. You can pray with our prayer teams. Our prayer teams are going to be right over here. But don't just sit here and put it in your mind. It's time to show other people that you're in. Let's be in this together. Respond to what God is saying. Okay? So, God, we give this time to you. And we don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers the word we want to look like you would you help us to do that would you help us to respond would you help us when things get so hard that we don't know what to do we don't think we can go another day would you give us the strength and would you push us forward lord jesus into the purpose that you have called us to not shrinking back but stepping in in jesus name god we give this to you we trust you in Jesus' name.